Hear the word of God as it is written in Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Keter. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Thanks be to the Lord. Well, uh, I can honestly pray, may God add his blessing to that reading of his word. Um, Sunday will be Psalm 121, and uh, Graham will be opening that word to us. Thank you, Graham. But Psalm 120 today, let's just uh, pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for, for breathing out your word, for, for breathing out the words that would reveal you to us through Jesus Christ for giving us um, a rock on which to stand and a guidance for our lives. And so we pray that as we look at this um, different passage today, you would guide us uh, to your meaning and to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy, mild God, and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Uh, it's great, isn't it, to be just a couple of days away from Christmas now, and I'm sure that you're completely prepared for Christmas. I'm sure that the presents are wrapped and uh, that the food has been purchased. I'm sure that the car is packed, even if you can't drive because of the fires, or that the beds have been made for the visitors that will hopefully be coming. And so I'm sure you're ready to celebrate on Christmas Day. And so I thought to prepare us for Christmas Day today, the text we would look at is the birth of Jesus in the Gospels? No. Is uh, Jesus lying in the manger? No. Is it the angels in the shepherds in the field? No. No, that's not what we're looking at, is it, those Christmas passages? Although you will be looking at a Christmas passage on Wednesday... Uh, today we reach Psalm 120, and so the question I want to ask as we begin is, what on earth can we learn from this, from Psalm 120, especially three days before Christmas? Well, as we uh, approach this psalm this morning together, we're going to do two things uh, as we look at the psalm this morning. Firstly is interpretation. Interpreting the Bible correctly is very important. And secondly is application. We're going to think about how this passage might apply to our lives uh, today. So number one is interpretation. Let's have a think about how we should understand and interpret this psalm. Let's read it again from verse 1. A song of ascents. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? And what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. 
So we see that it's quite a bleak and depressing psalm, really, isn't it? But did you notice there a general theme that comes out in the psalm as we read it? I think that the psalm has a broad and general theme of speech, and particularly it's about speech and the believer. The broad theme is about speech, I think, what we speak and also what is spoken to us. We see there in verse 1 that he's speaking words to God. I call on the Lord in my distress, he says. And then God speaks to him. There in verse 1 we see that God answers him. We see more speech in verse 2 where the author says, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. So we see here that the psalmist is in distress. And as we see in verse 1, we see that, sorry, but we see in verse 2 that the cause of this distress is actually the evil speech of people towards him. The reason he's distressed is because of those other people's lying lips and deceitful tongues towards him. So it doesn't take much for us, does it, to resonate with this psalm. For we too know this feeling of being distressed by evil speech that comes against us. The author says, save me, O Lord, from lying lips. Save me from deceitful tongues. Don't we feel that way sometimes too? Maybe at work? At work. Or at church? In society? Perhaps your neighbours? Or maybe a relationship? With a family member or something? We all know this feeling of being accosted by the speech of others. So the question is, how is this psalm going to explain this? And how is it going to challenge us to respond? The focus on speech in the psalm continues in verse 3, where the deceitful speaker is addressed and challenged with the coming judgment of God. The author says in verses 3 and 4, he says, What will he, that is, what will God do to you? And what more besides, O you deceitful tongue? He's speaking to the deceitful tongue. And then he says in verse 4, God will punish them, he says. He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and with the burning coals of the broom tree. So these two images of arrows and burning coals there, I think are not literal, but they are metaphors. These images are a metaphor for the eternal judgment of God that will come to non-Christians. O sinner, O deceitful tongue, he says, God will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and with the burning coals of the broom tree. God will punish the deceitful tongue and the lying lips. In verse 5, we see that the author feels like a bit of an alien in a foreign land. See, in verse 5, he says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Woe, he says, he calls down a curse upon himself because he feels like he's living in a foreign city. Uh, the place of Meshech and the tents of Kedar, uh, this is a bit confusing because the place of Meshech was a town thousands of kilometres away from Israel in the north, way up at the top of Turkey, near the Black Sea. And the town of Kedar, or as it says, the tents of Kedar, well, that was in the other direction, a long way from Israel, way down in the desert in Saudi Arabia. 
So what do these verses mean? Does it mean that the psalm writer is Superman and he can fly to these places really quickly, even though they're a long way from each other? Well, no. Once again, I think that it's, verse 5 is probably a metaphor. You see, this author, he's living in Israel, but he feels like he's living in another country because the people that he speaks to in Israel and the people who speak to him, they're not being like the people of God. They're not speaking like a child of God should. They're not living like God's people should. They're not living like the holy people of Israel, but they're living like the pagan nations, maybe of Meshech and Kedar. And so the author is so distressed that God's people, God's own people, would act like foreigners and not the people of God. And so that must challenge us as a church, as God's people. Friends, are we living like the people of God? Or are we living in sin and disunity like the world around us? That's the challenge here, isn't it? All right, let's have a look at how uh, the idea of speech closes this psalm. He says in verses 6 and 7, verse 6, Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. And he says, verse 7, I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So what we're seeing in this psalm is a lot about speech and the believer. Psalm 120 reminds us that speech can hurt us, or at times it can even see us condemned. This psalm reminds us that speech can hurt us. In verse 1, he's distressed by the evil speech against him. In verse 2, he wants to be saved from the lying lips. In verse 5, he calls down a curse upon himself for living amongst such wicked speakers. And in verse 6 and 7, he points out how hard it is as well. You see, this psalm reminds us that speech can hurt us. And we need to be saved from lying lips and deceitful tongues. We need God to intervene. But we also see in this psalm that speech at times can even see us condemned. For we see in verse 7, he says, I'm a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You see, it's when he speaks, when he opens his mouth and shares godly truth, that this godly truth is not received. For he says there that when I speak, they are for war. This godly speech of the righteous one causes a reaction in the wicked. Did we not see that in the life of the Lord Jesus? And also in this psalm, this godly speech of the righteous one causes a reaction in the wicked. This biblical speech, this gospel speech causes persecution. For he says there, when I speak, they are for war. So this psalm reminds us about speech and the believer It reminds us that speech can hurt us, or at times it could even see us condemned and ostracised. Speech can see the Christian persecuted by the non-Christian because we speak God's truth. And it can also see the non-Christian condemned by God for their spoken sins, for their verbal sins on the day of judgment 
condemned by God for the bad things that they spoke to others during their life on earth. For we see in verse 4, he will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. So friends, that's interpretation. But now what about application? What is this psalm calling us to do as a response, as a result of hearing this message? Friends, I think that it is that we must determine to speak God's word into this world of wicked speech, just like the Lord Jesus did. We must determine to speak God's word into this wicked world of wicked speech. Friends, we Christians must speak. We must speak God's word into this wicked world for we have been given the word of God to share. And it is, after all, the word of God. Uh, You know, uh, in church history class at Bible college, we don't just study ancient history, but we studied modern history as well. And it was really interesting to get to a lecture about World War II and Nazi Germany. Friends, did you know that it's sometimes given uh, as a reason that Hitler rose to power so quickly, and I'm not sure to take this tangent, but I think it's relevant. A reason that Hitler rose to power so quickly and so unopposed is because the church was silent. Because the church was silent. Because the church would not speak God's word into the dark world around it. And so Hitler was not opposed by the German church. There were not enough church rallies or protests. There was not enough German Christian lobbies lobbying the government. The church didn't write enough public letters to society. The church didn't engage enough with the government. The German church didn't speak out enough and say that what that guy was doing was wrong. They didn't sufficiently say to people, beware, avoid this, react to this, stop this happening. No, they didn't speak. The church didn't speak out. It didn't speak God's word out. It didn't speak God's rebuke in that situation. But rather, the German evangelical church, the holy Catholic church in Germany was silent. And Hitler rose to power and committed his atrocities atrocities essentially unopposed by the mainline church. The church didn't speak God's word into this world of wicked speech and wicked acts. And look at what happened. Friends, I think this psalm is calling us as a church to speak God's word into this world of wicked speech and wicked acts. We, as God's church, must shine his word out to this world like a light in a dark place. We must talk about the Christian views of sexuality. We must talk about the Christian views of marriage and euthanasia and the sanctity of life in God's eyes. We must speak out against all sorts of sin and moral decay in society. We must stand up for freedom of speech in Australia. We must stand up and stand out as God's church. We must stand up for freedom of religion before it's taken away from us. 
friends, the church must be heard in our times. For as a certain hymn goes, we have the words of eternal life. How could we ever keep them in? Friend, do you write to your politicians? Do you write to the elders? Do you engage in social issues? Do you speak about these controversial issues to family and friends and colleagues? Do you speak to them from a Christian perspective? The Lord Jesus said these words. He said, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, friend, we might need access to some training to be able to speak for God in this way. Maybe we here at the church can train you somehow. Maybe you could do a correspondence course at Bible college. Or maybe you could read good Christian books on apologetics, which means the defence of the faith. Maybe you could access good Christian resources on the internet. And be careful, because there's a lot of baloney on the internet. But there is some good stuff too. And a few good authors and preachers to listen to on these matters are these men, for example. Ravi Zacharias, Francis Schaeffer, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, John Piper, or in Australia, Sam Chan, who was one of my lecturers at SMBC. These apologists equip us to defend the Christian faith. Why not try to listen to some of them or read their books and let them train you on how to speak God's truth into this world? Also, our our state church has something called the Gospel Society and Culture Committee, and they've got a website called gsnc.org.au gsandc.org.au and there's some wonderful resources on there about the issues that our society is facing at the moment from a Christian perspective. Friends, we must determine to speak God's word into this world of wicked speech. Don't hold your tongue for Jesus. Psalm 120 reminds us that speech can hurt us or at times could even see us condemned. But regardless, we must determine to speak God's word into this world in which we live. John Stott in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount uh, comments about what it means for Christians to be salt and light in this world. And I love the way he describes it. He says, We are called to be both salt and light to the secular community. He says, Take first our vocation to be salt. The Apostle Paul paints a grim picture at the end of the first chapter of his Roman letter of what happens when a society suppresses the truth it knows by nature. It deteriorates. Its values and standards steadily decline until it becomes utterly corrupt. When men reject what they know of God, God gives them up to their own distorted notions and perverted passions until society stinks in the nostrils of God and of all good people. And then he says this, he says, Now Christians, now Christians, 
they are set in secular society by God to hinder this process. God intends us to penetrate the world. God intends us to penetrate the world. Christian salt, he says, has no business to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it going bad. And when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands, says John Stott, in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves, he says? He says one can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is, where is the salt? So friends, this psalm does have something to say to us this Christmas. This Christmas let us be salt and light to the people and the world around us. Let us speak God's word into this dark world. And let us shine the light and the hope of the gospel this Christmas through our words and through our deeds. Well, let us pray. I'm going to pray in the words of the Christmas hymn. Let us pray. Hark the herald angels sing, O Lord, glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, and we pray glory to the newborn King. Amen.